My name is Jason Barnes, who I am. First, I'm a believer and follower of Christ. I'm a husband to my gorgeous wife, Bren. I'm a father to my beautiful children, Eli and Ansley. You know, people always say, how do you believe in God? How do you know there's a God? How does a guy like me get a beautiful family like that? I take the marrying up to a whole new level, don't I? I'm a son to my father, David, and my mother, Grace. They've been married for 47 years. No clap. (laughs) First service claps, come on. uh, I'm a son-in-law to my father-in-law, Joe, and mother-in-law, Becky. They've been married for 48 years. You're getting it, you're getting it. I'm a brother to Brian Barnes, and I'm a brother-in-law to Matt Morgan. I'm a friend to some of you. What I do, I'm a, I have a Chick-fil-A franchise, as Michael said. Eat more chicken. Uh, yeah, we can clap on that, right? Uh, prior to Chick-fil-A, I was a teacher, soccer coach, and assistant principal from 2003 to 2011. During those years, I met my wife in 2005. I proposed in 2006, and then we were married in 2007. We moved here from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, uh, we're, uh, for us to take over the Chick-fil-A franchise in 2011. Today, I want to answer the question, does your perspective bring you peace? Does your perspective bring you peace? Now, why do I know we need that question answered? Melissa Davis stood on this stage on January 1st, and from her research, she found one of the top three things people are looking for in 2017 is inner peace. Forbes, in their top five recommendations of New Year's resolutions for 2017, searching for that inner peace. What's your perspective on peace? For me, mine gets in the way every day. It changes because of my past experiences as well as new information that I learn. But I get in the way a lot. Do you? What peace do you try to solve for every day? What do you use to solve for that peace? Do you drink? Do you smoke? Do you take pills? Is it a job that you want? Is it a relocation that you want? Is it a raise that you want? Oh, if I could only get this one thing, then my peace, my soul would be satisfied. It it never works that way. Or you're like, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Here's another guy talking about alcohol and drugs again. Here we go. I'm in church. Maybe you have quiet times every day. Maybe you work out every day. Maybe you eat paleo. Maybe you have your life together, but there's that one thing that you do every day. You don't want to do it, but you do it, and then you're so upset that you do it. You're searching for the inner peace. Do you work too much? You own a business? You don't go home enough? Kids? Did you have kids because that's going to solve that inner peace? Only to find kids do not solve the inner peace. (laughs) They are a gift from God. They are a gift from God. Is it network marketing? Is it politics? What is it? What is it for you that you just keep doing, but you don't want to do it? Today, again, I want to answer the question, does your perspective bring you peace? Seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. Seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. Why do we need to to solve for peace? Because many of you, you're tired. You've done it a long time by yourself. You've searched for things. You've done things. You just keep searching. Maybe you're here as a last-ditch effort. This is it. I really, really, really need to go to church to try to find an inner peace. 
There's something in all of our souls that longs to be filled. Thankfully, we're not the first people to deal with this. God wrote to us and the Apostle Paul, and we're going to go through that in Philippians 4 in just a minute. I want to set up perspective this way. My mom and dad were married for 47 years. My in-laws married for 48 years. Almost 100 years of combined marriage. We love holidays. We love birthdays. We love traditions. With almost 100 years, there's a lot of traditions in there. Put it this way. Anything that allows us to eat, travel, hang out, play or watch sports, and build gigantic bonfires, we love to do together. So this past Christmas was no different. Come Thanksgiving, I tell my wife, hey, why don't we go the day after Thanksgiving, and we'll buy our Christmas tree. See, in our house, buying a Christmas tree is the basis of our marriage, real or fake. Y'all have these fights in your, in your family? So when I met my wife in 05, I said, do you love God? She said, yep. I said, do you want to have kids? She said, yes. I asked her, do you love college football? She actually said, yes. I said, what about a real or fake Christmas tree? She said, real. I said, will you marry me? We got married. So Thanksgiving comes, day after Thanksgiving's here, my in-laws are in town, and we say, let's not get to Christmas tree today. They're having a blast with the in-laws, let's not do it. So we go back to school on Monday, we'll do it after school. Well, Monday comes, anytime the kids start school, you never ever do anything the day they start school. Say, so we'll go the next day. Well, Tuesday and Wednesday of that week was 70 degrees. There's a rule in our house. You cannot get a Christmas tree when it's 70 degrees outside. So Thursday, December 1st came, partly cloudy. It's cold, chance of rain, best day to get a Christmas tree. Kids come home, we pile them in the truck. And my wife and I have great memories of Christmas. We have memories of piling in our dad's trucks. They get their chainsaw. We go out to a Christmas tree farm. Dad's cut it down, throw it in the back of the truck, come home and we decorate it. Well, since we live in Virginia Beach and there's not a Christmas tree farm within two hours, we went to the next best thing. And that's the Catholic Church on Little Neck Road. So we drive out there, have the two kids with us. We pull up. We're the only customers there, thank God. Because with a four and a six-year-old, your window's pretty small of that time to get a Christmas tree. So we get out. Hey, kids, help us pick out a Christmas tree. They look at one, and then they start. They start running. They start fighting. They start wrestling. They're playing tag. Other people show up to buy their Christmas tree for their family. My kids are playing tag with them, wrestling with them, scaring everybody. So look at my wife. It's like, we need to make a decision really quick. So she picked a white pine. I picked a fur. We had it in, we're at an impasse. So for me and my family, what we do is we play rock, paper, scissors to figure out who's going to win an argument. We didn't decide not to do that. So instead, we pulled the kids over and said, let's have a vote. Of course, my daughter went with the white pine. My son went with the fur. Remember, I'll say one more time, my parents have a combined marriage of almost 100 years for both families. I've learned something from my father and father-in-law. Happy wife. Happy life. So we went with the white pine. So we bring the, the Christmas tree home. On uh, my wife had seen something on Facebook that if you put the tree stand on the tree while it's in the truck, it's much easier to deal with. Well, of course, it starts raining. So we throw the Christmas tree stand on there. We take it inside. We set it down. It takes up half of the living room. It's the biggest Christmas tree ever. My wife's completely disappointed. I was like, don't worry about it. We'll fix it. We'll move the furniture around. We'll make it look all better. So I go outside to pull the truck into the garage. My son comes running out, Daddy, 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 you got to get back inside. I said, why? The Christmas tree, it fell on top of Mom. 
So I go inside, sure enough, the only thing you see are her feet sticking out of the Christmas tree. I pick it up. But what she did is she walked, you know, she went underneath and you're trying to tweak the little knob, the little bolts at the bottom. Is the tree straight? Is it over? She's trying to get to fit. And let's just say gravity one, Barnes family zero. Pull it off of her. We moved everything around, set the Christmas tree up, and the kids start in again. They're in timeout three separate times. They're fighting. They're breaking the decorations. They won't eat dinner. They want this. Anybody relate to this? Okay, thank you. All right. I pray God we're not the only ones. So we put, I said, look, let's just put the kids to bed. We'll come back down. We'll, we'll fix this tree, I promise. Put them to bed. They come. Uh, my wife comes back downstairs. She said, starts yelling upstairs, Jason, Jason, you got to get downstairs. Went, watch. She said, the Christmas tree had fell again. This time it wasn't on her, thankfully. So we, we pick it up. I said, look, let's just trim it. I'll just take it outside, use my brand new steel chainsaw. Women, if you need something, get your husband on a Father's Day. Steel chainsaw is it. So take it outside. We trim off the branches, put the tree stand back on, take it on the front porch, or take it back inside and set it down. There's now a foot between the bottom of the tree branch and the top of the tree stand. Now, those of you that you opt for fake Christmas trees, this is the reason why you opt for a fake Christmas tree. I would say you don't get to have the luxury of these funny stories. So we take it back outside, trim the tree. It fits perfect in the stand. Take it back. This is a Christmas tree. Three and a half hours later, three timeouts later, it's gorgeous. We love it. Lots of trimming, lots of trimming, lots of trimming. The next morning, we get up to take the kids to school. I pull out of the garage. I hear a crack. I ran over the brand new steel chainsaw. <laughs> My wife comes over. She goes, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's not your fault. I put it there. I ran over it. This has now become the most expensive Christmas tree ever for our family. <laughs> she comes. I go to work. I come home. She said, how's your day? I said, great. How's your day? Great. She said, I need to tell you something about the Christmas tree. At this point, not in the mood. <laughs> not in the mood to hear. She goes, yeah, uh, we got a white pine because I told you, you know, that the reason I wanted the white pine, the reason I was trying to plead my case, like the Christmas tree reminds me of my family and all the sights and the sounds and the food. I said, yeah. Well, I really wanted the white pine. I said, I understand. We got you the white pine. She said, I talked to my dad today. We had cedars growing up. <laughs> so this week, I had a service with the Christmas tree. Public service announcement, don't play with matches, kids. This, this was out in the field. We're, we're good. We have some, some property. Uh, and I thought it was hysterical. My wife didn't find it as funny, but it's awesome. And if you've never lit a Christmas tree on fire, it goes like three stories in the air. It's so awesome. Uh, but in all seriousness, our, we had this perfect perception of what we thought Christmas was going to be. We, you know, we were hosting like three groups from Chick-fil-A. We were hosting our leadership team, our friends, our family. We have all these groups that come in. But we changed our perspective when it came to this tree. Not because ran, I ran over my chainsaw. But now we're going to get a white pine Christmas tree every year just because it's a fun tradition. I go back to what perspective did you need to change? What perspective is like our Christmas tree story? What is in your life that you're using to fill the wrong piece? Thankfully, we're not the first people to think about it. God talks to us in Philippians 4. So if you want to turn your Bible to Philippians 4, we're going to answer the question, does your perspective bring you peace? If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, uh, I have them using a bunch of different translations for each verse. So we'll have everything up on the screen. I'm going to set up Philippians 4. The author is Paul, and he's writing, it's actually a letter he wrote to a church. 
You have to understand something about Paul. He's a lot like more not, or a lot like you and I, a whole lot more than you think. He lived his late teens, early 20s, went to a prestigious school, hated Christians, persecuted them. In fact, he didn't like them so much. He found out who they were, had them thrown in prison, and then they were executed. He became friends with the prison guards, found out who the prisoners' friends were, went out, had them arrested, sent in jail, and then they were executed. He was about 30 years old. He had a conversion. He came to Christ. Then he spent the last 30 years of his life planting churches, teaching others about Jesus, fleeing from authorities and getting thrown in jail. He's repeated that over and over and over again. Where we pick up here in verse 4, Paul's actually on house arrest. Back then, they didn't have ankle bracelets to keep track of where you were on house arrest. So what they did is they changed you to a prison guard. They handcuffed you wrist to wrist. So the best analogy I have, any Virginia Tech fans? Yay, go, go Hokies. How about UVA fans? Oh, wow. We have more Tech fans in this service than the last service. It's like the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Virginia Tech wins the football game. Can't be basketball. We saw what happened this week with that. Virginia Tech wins, they're handcuffed to a UVA fan for an entire year. (laughs) Then the Virginia Tech fan convinces the UVA fan to come over to his side because they have the best recruiting class. They're going to be number one in the ACC. They're going to win the national championship. That's what it's like, Paul being chained to a prisoner. It's so unlikely for him to teach people during this house arrest and win the prison guards over, just like it is for a Virginia Tech fan to convince a UVA fan over the course of a year to become a Virginia Tech fan. Verse 4, we'll pick up here. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say again, rejoice. You see, when the Bible was written, there were no emojis to help you with the effect. No emojis. What they did is they took verses, they took words, and they repeated them for effect. So for example, if anybody's in the military, or you know someone in the military, or somebody in your family is from the military, you ever heard them say, I'm not used to repeating myself? Listen the first time. Or what about your mom? Does she use your middle name? So for me and my mom, girl, or my mom and I growing up, she could be halfway clear across the globe. And she says, Jason Wyatt Barnes. I perk up, I listen. This is what Paul's trying to get us to do here. He's repeating the word rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Next verse. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The King James Version says, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So this word for moderation refers to restraint on passions, general soberness of living, being free from all excesses. I don't know if I need to describe moderation to you. Earlier I went down some of the things that we use to fill the peace in our soul. And a lot of people say, oh, but I'm great in moderation. I'll challenge you. How are you with your phone? Did you know that in 2016, according to Forbes, Americans use their phone Eight billion times. Eight billion times. The average user, 76 times a day, they touch their phone for 2,700 swipes and clicks. The high-end users, over almost 140 times they use their phones for 5,700 swipes and clicks. How are you with your phone? I know one of the most convicting stories I have. I was three years old playing catch with my son in the driveway, not with the red football that Mr. Michael gave him, but I will be today. Uh, And I'm out in the driveway, and I'm on my phone playing catch with him. He walks over, he picks up the phone, and he puts it in my pocket. Talking about that was very sobering to have my three-year-old tell me, I'm not using moderation very well. How about this quote? I had a friend tell me this quote. Whatever your kids see you do in in moderation, they're going to do it in excess. 
Whatever your kids see you do in moderation, they will do in excess. Be careful what you're doing in moderation. Think you're not bothering anybody, but your kids are watching. Next verse, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. According to data released by Amazon, the most highlighted passage in all of Amazon eKindle is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Not the most highlighted passage in the Bible, the most highlighted passage of every book in Amazon eKindle's library. Years ago, a, leading, a professor at Leading American University, they did a study on worry. This is the results he came up with. When we worry, 40% of the things never happen. 30% concern the past. 12% are needless worries about health. 10% are petty issues and 8% are legitimate concerns. With this worry, you can see it's translated being divided and pulled in different directions. When we seek for this peace, we're pulled in these two different directions. It causes anxiety. You want to do something right, but you do it wrong. You want to do it right, you do it wrong. Paul gives us four commands in this verse. He says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. First command is prayer. It's the broadest word for communication with God. Second, tell God. The word here is used to share your sincere needs and your problems. The third command, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for everything he's done. And the fourth thing is request. This word, he just wants you to talk to him. Big, small, whatever. Prayer, tell God, be thankful, present your request. Verse seven, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word God, uh, God's peace, it's other translations use the peace of God. It's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. We're going to break this verse down into, into a couple parts. The first one, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, his peace. So there's two types of peace we're talking about in the Bible. The first in the Old Testament is shalom. It appears 250 times in the Old Testament. It means all-encompassing word, completeness, contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, a wish for, a wish for prosperity on all levels. The New Testament counterpart is Irene. If you're named Irene, your name means... Uh, describing of a tranquil state of the soul, a soul at rest, a satisfied soul. This is a biblical view of peace. Paul's telling us that we're to search for and only God can give. Next part, we'll guard your hearts and minds. The verb here is a, it's not, it's a military term, not used to watch, but it means stand at a post and guard against the aggression of an enemy. I don't know about you, but if I want somebody to guard for me, it would be these guys. It's the soldiers at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Listen to their routine. It takes them six hours to prepare their uniform. To guard the tomb, they march 21 steps down south, the black mat that's laid across the tomb. They turn and face east toward the tomb for 21 seconds. They then turn and face north, change weapons to outside shoulder, and they wait 21 seconds. They march 21 steps down the mat, turn and face east for 21 seconds. Then they turn and face south, change weapon to the outside shoulder, and wait 21 seconds. They repeat the routine until the soldiers relieve of duty the changing of the guard. The reason they chose 21, that's the highest honor that can be bestowed upon someone in the military. I don't know about you, but if God can guard my heart, half as good as those guys guard the tomb, I'm in. Next part of the verse, as you live in Christ Jesus. Notice it says, as you live in Christ Jesus. It's not what we're trying to acquire. It's not what we drink, smoke, take, try to achieve. 
no feeling that we're trying to get. It's as we live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thought on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We're going to come back to this at the application part. I want to close uh, the, this portion of the text with a story. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A. In 1980, he bought a lot of land on the outskirts of Atlanta to move our corporate office to. In 1982, interest rates soared to 21%. He had taken a $10 million loan out to move our corporate office. Now, if you're not good at math, 21% of $10 million is a lot of money. In 1982, when interest rates soared, we also experienced in Chick-fil-A the first decrease in same-store sales we have ever had. True, had gone on his knees and said, God, where have I failed you? Why is the business failing? Where have I failed you? Why? Why is the business failing? What did I do? So he did what most business guys would do who were really wise, and he got his executive committee together. They went out for a two-day retreat. They were bringing numbers and graphs. They're going to meet, come up with a plan. What can we do to fix this problem? Dan Cathy, his son, said, why are we in business? Why are we living? Why are we even here? Truett said, I knew this wasn't a rhetorical question. So that whole day they spent coming up with what is now our corporate purpose. Our corporate purpose for Chick-fil-A states, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's been entrusted to us and have a positive impact on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Now, Truett said this. He said, we got back to the corporate office and everyone, everyone is coming up to us from the corporate staff. Did y'all fix the problem? Did y'all fix the problem? Did you fix the problem? He said, not really, but we did come up with why we were in business. And from that, we came up with an internal plan that focused on quality, service, and cleanliness. The results are repeated nowhere else in business, let alone the quick service industry. Please don't confuse this with the prosperity gospel where you give more and you get more. That's not what Truett's saying. He's quoted as saying this. Once I gave it to God, I operated and I take care of it along with the corporate staff, the executive committee, and the operators. When I remember that I have a total, when I remember that, I have a totally different feeling about it. God owns the business. I'm just a good steward of what he's given me. Truett's perspective changed along with our executive committee and the business grew. Remember, seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. Seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. What's the perspective that you need to change? What is it that you're searching for every day that you know you're not supposed to do, that you want it to fill the heart, you want it to fill the soul, and it doesn't? I feel like you do it by answering this question. How do you change your perspective to get the peace Paul's talking about? You change it as answering the question, how might I become a better person? How might I become a better husband? How might I become a better father? Dads, we need this. Men, we need it. Church needs men stepping up. Our schools need men stepping up. You've got to step up and start leading your families. We all do. Or yes, how can I be a better mother? How can I be a better wife, a better brother, a better sister? How become a better coworker? How do I become a better Christian? I told you we'd come back to verse eight in the application spot. So if you would do a favor for me, take out your phones. Go ahead, take out your phones and you'll pull up your camera. I have two applications for you. The first one is for those of you that aren't Christians. You're like, somebody invited me here for free lunch. 
Sorry, Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday, but come tomorrow, the food tastes better. The first group, you don't really identify with God. There might be a God. You're like, not really sure about Jesus. That's fine. Here's your challenge today and this week. You can do the first one. Do what's true, do what's right, do what's honorable, do what's pure, lovely, and admirable. Only think and, things that are, think and do things that are excellent. Those of you who are Christ followers, you can do both. But what if you didn't worry about anything? Instead, you prayed about everything. Told God what you need, you thanked him for all he's done. Then you'd experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, everything Jesus did, every day of his life, it changed people's perspective. What perspective is he trying to change for you? Now here's my challenge. What would happen if everyone in the room, everyone in this room, today and for the next seven days, hopefully you take it to a month and a year, but I realize we can't even keep our New Year's resolutions, right? So let's just start for the week. First part, do what's true, right, honorable, pure, lovely, and admirable. Only think and do things that are excellent. What would happen to your families? What would happen to our community? What would happen to your relationship with your spouse? Believers, what if you did the second application? What if we did the most highlighted passage in all of Amazon eKindle? You did this today and every day this week. I hope it carries and you do it every day for the month and for the year. Take the picture, save it, save it as your wallpaper, save it as a photo. I can't give you a handout, y'all throw it away by the time you get in the parking lot. If it's on your phone, maybe you'll read it. What would happen if Christians, we did this challenge? How might your workplace be different? How might you be a better parent, a better friend, a better brother, sister? Remember, seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. Last example on perspective. Just do me a favor, take your hand, put it up to your nose. It's really difficult to see your palm. If you move your hand all the way to the very end until your arm is outstretched, you see a broader perspective. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants you to get a different perspective. Pull back. Look at what he has to offer. Only his peace that can pass all understanding. Remember, seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. Seeking God's perspective will reveal his gift of peace. There are numerous responses to this message. Maybe you're like Coleman was from age 12 to 22. Maybe, like, you need help. You need professional help. Your marriage, it's struggling. It's, it's dying. Maybe you need personal help. You're a wreck. You're a mess. It's okay. We've all been there. Our church has great resources for you to find professionals that can help you. What's awesome about Coleman is he spent the last 16 years every Monday night helping other people overcome their addiction. <clears throat> Response two, you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you need to be better. Start this week, the first challenge I just went over with you. Group three, Response three, you aren't sure about the God thing. You know, every week at 10.05, we have faith and life classes that you can join. We have a life groups that meet every week that we sit in circles. Circles are better than rows is what we believe here. And y'all can walk through these questions together. Or if you don't want to go to faith and life classes, you don't want to meet with a small group or life group, our church staff can stand by and answer questions you have about God.
Or maybe you're the fourth group. You've kind of been in church. One of my friends told me when I invited him today, he goes, you know, I'm going to come because my mom told me to get my heathen self back in church. Maybe you identify with him. It's time for you to come back to church. How might you become a better Christian, a better leader in your family? How might your workplace be different if you did this challenge, you did this application? How might your coworkers, people that work for you, maybe your boss, how might your life and their life be different? Remember, seeking God's perspective. Seek God's perspective and reveal his, his gift of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of peace. We thank you for your son. We thank you we can worship. I ask right now that you help each of us do what's true, right, honorable, pure, lovely, and admirable. Help us think and do things that are excellent. Help us not to worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. We'll tell you what we need. Give thanks for all you've done in our lives. And then, Lord, help us experience your peace, the peace which exceeds anything we can understanding, anything we can understand. Then your peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in you. Help us to seek your perspective to find your gift of peace.